welcome everyone to this episode of The Spoken Nerd. I'm your host, Connor McDonald, and we're here again to talk database technology. Now, if I sound a little breathless today, it's not my attempt to do anything romantic or sensual with this podcast. I've just finished playing volleyball with my son. He dragged me into a father and son competition. And whilst I used to have some volleyball skills a few decades ago, now that I'm older, fatter, slower, and my knees are more brittle, I'm still recovering from that, even though it was a couple of hours ago. So apologies in advance for a little bit of heavy breathing from time to time. In this episode, we're going to talk about the row ID, not to be confused with the row num, which we'll get to in another podcast one day, but the row ID. It seems such a simple thing. You'll see it in the concepts guide defining what it is, and we'll get to that. But it actually has had an interesting history of changes and the way it's treated inside the Oracle database reflects the changes in the world in terms of storage and database size over the years. Hopefully you've been following along in my back to basic series in these podcasts. So you're familiar now with the concept of a segment, which consists of a number of extents which sit in files and those extents consists of a number of blocks. Because of that, to find a given row in the database, what would I need? I would need to know exactly what file it sits in. So now we're entering into the physical world. We don't necessarily need to know what table a row is in to actually locate its spot out on storage. The first thing we need to know is the file it is in. The next thing we need to know is the block number. We don't really even need to know what extent a block or row is in because as long as I have the block number, namely the distance from the start of the file in blocks that this block can be found, that's going to be good enough. Since in most databases, the Oracle block size is 8K, as long as we know which 8K in a given file our row is, that's going to be good enough. Of course, what happens when we get to that block? A block can contain many rows. The block internals is perhaps for another podcast session. I'm not entirely sure how we're going to do a podcast on block internals, given that we won't have anything visual. But for the sake of today's discussion, let's just assume a block is very similar to a jar of candy or a jar of sweets. It starts off empty and you simply fill it from the bottom. The first sweet or candy goes in and the next one sits on top of that, etc. Rows in a block are very similar. You effectively fill a block from its logical bottom, its empty state. And each row, somewhat like a game of Tetris, just lands on top of the end of the previous row, slowly filling the block. Thus, to know where a row is inside a block, you need to know effectively whereabouts in that 8K it is. And inside every block is a thing called the row directory. That row directory simply nominates the starting position for each row. Row number one might start at byte number 10. Row number two might then start at byte number 120 and so forth. Thus, I need these three things to find any particular row inside my database. I need to know the file it's in. I need to know the block within that file. And once I've located that block, I need to know which row it is inside that block. And as long as I know the row number, this might be row 17, I'll be able to use the row directory inside that block to find exactly where it sits. So keep that in mind, file number, block number, row number. That's how we find a row inside the database. I should stress, this is not to say that every single row inside the database has that row ID stored alongside it. The row ID is not something we store, it is simply a lookup or an address to where that row is. Think about it in this way. 
Let's look at something like latitude and longitude. If I jump in a boat, head off from the coast of Perth and head out to 32 south, 116 east. That happens to be just in the middle of the water on my way to Rottnest Island, a small island off the coast of Perth. If I take my boat out there, I'll just be looking at plain water. There won't be a plaque stuck in the ocean bed saying, oh, by the way, welcome to 32 south, 116 east. A row idea is the same. It tells you exactly where a row is, but when you get there, that information is not stored with the row itself. The row ID is not stored in the table. The reason row IDs exist is for indexes, not for tables. An index needs to be able to locate a row very rapidly, and therefore indexes consist of key values, the information that's in the index, and then a pointer to the equivalent row in the table. The way we get to that row in the table is via the row ID. Row IDs are stored in indexes, they're not stored in tables. The most common reason people think that a row ID is stored alongside the table is the fact that you can query it. You can jump onto any of your favorite Oracle tools and simply run select row ID from my table and it will actually return some data. We often refer to the row ID as a pseudo column in the sense that as I scan each block, I know the file number, I know the block number because I'm sitting inside that block and then I know the row number. So that's enough information for me to generate the row ID for display. Because the row ID is three attributes, file number, block number, and row number, in the early versions of Oracle back in Oracle 7, when you selected the row ID from a table, you would get something that looked like three attributes. The row ID would be 18 bytes long, consisting of three sets of hexadecimal digits. And because a single hex byte is typically displayed as two characters on screen, plus a dot between each of the sets of hex, that would be 18 bytes for display. Internally, the row ID is only six bytes in size, thus totaling 48 bits. Given that the row ID is stored on every single index entry, it was naturally in Oracle's interests to keep the row ID down to the smallest size practicable. Six bytes gives us 48 bits worth of information. And for the row ID back in Oracle 7 and before, you would have 10 of those 48 bits to represent the file. 10 bits gives you 1,024 files in total. The next 22 bits would be for the block number. 22 bits gives you 4 million blocks. What that means is I can have 1,024 files. Each one could be 4 million blocks long which gives me 32 gigabytes as a maximum file size for an 8K block size. And then the remaining 16 bits would be for the row number. That gives you conceivably up to 65,000 rows in a block, which obviously will never be hit, but that's how the 48 bits were used to build a row ID and store those three pieces of information in six bytes. So what did that give us in terms of a theoretical maximum database size? I have 1,024 files, each one can be 32 gigabytes in size. Therefore, for an 8K block size, back in the Oracle 7 days, the largest size database you could conceivably have would be 32 terabytes. That might sound a little bit limiting for modern databases, but let's reflect on the databases of the time. When I first started using Oracle 7, the server we were using was a Sun Enterprise 450 it was seen as a very, very powerful large server because it could hold 29 gigabyte SCSI drives. 
Very, very few databases even got anywhere near one terabyte in those days. If you went and bought some of the very big enterprise level servers from Sun or HP, etc., you might get near what we used to consider the mythical terabyte mark if you were running a data warehouse. But the reality was having a database that had a maximum size of 32 terabytes was so far beyond what anyone would ever need given the computing power of the time. Hence, any of us who are dinosaurs of the database like me will be familiar that the row ID format always used to be three sets of hex digits separated by a dot. Six bytes internally, 18 bytes for display. Let's remember those two limits, 18 bytes for display and six bytes internally because it's critical for the rest of this discussion. Toward the end of the 90s, 32 terabytes was not necessarily a massive database anymore. It was still bigger than the vast majority of people would be running, but there were databases starting to approach that size and therefore Oracle needed to do something in order to increase the maximum size of a database. Just pause for a second and think what a challenge that actually is, because you can't really just send out an email to all your customers and say, you know, six bytes really isn't enough for our ROADs. We'd like to make them larger. If it's okay with you, can you unload and reload all of your data in every single database when you come to upgrade? That just isn't gonna fly. So engineers inside Oracle needed to come up with a mechanism where they could increase the size of the database, yet not increase the space used by a row ID, and also make sure that any existing data did not need to be touched when someone upgraded. That takes some smarts to come up with something which is going to be relatively future-proof and yet is backward compatible. I don't know if this is really what happened, but I'll cover what I think the decision process would have been as they went through this challenge. With Oracle 7, there was this limit of 1,024 files in the database. If you're going to keep that same 10-bit limit, how can we increase the number of files? We can make it relative to something. Rather than 1,024 files being a limit per database, we could simply make an adjustment and say, now you can have 1,024 files per table space. Any existing data doesn't need to change because all of those things become simply the first one file per table space or the first two files per table space. None of your existing file mappings need to change. What you could then do after upgrading is as people create new rows and eventually go beyond the previously defined database size limits, you could add the table space number to the new row IDs. You haven't changed the size of the existing row IDs, but the new row IDs could be a little bit larger, therefore holding the table space number and the now relative file number in the row ID. That would let you dramatically increase the size of the database. But whilst in isolation that sounds like a workable solution, another feature was coming along in Oracle 8.0. That feature was called transportable table space. Going hand in hand with the fact that databases were getting larger, the tools via which we copy data around in those days was namely export and import. And if databases were getting larger, using export and import were quickly becoming simply unsustainable solutions as databases got massive. Transportable table space was a mechanism where you could literally unplug files from one database and plug them into another one, thus avoiding all the overhead of unloading the data and reloading the data from scratch. But let's assume for a second we have decided to use this new row ID version as being a table space and a file embedded in the row ID. 
what happens when I unplug table space number 17 from one database and plug it into a, another database that already has a table space number 17? All of a sudden I have a big problem because my row ID no longer uniquely identifies a row in the database. The moment I allow the concept of transporting table spaces across databases, the table space and relative file number are no longer good enough to build a row ID. So I've shot down the concept of having a table space and relative file number in our new row ID regime. We have to come up with a different idea. Although the 10 bits for files now being relative to a table space seems like a good idea. So here's what happened. Rather than having a new row ID that stores a table space inside the row ID, Oracle chose to store the object number, the unique ID of every single segment in the database. If you're unfamiliar with the object ID, you can simply query the user objects or all objects or DBA objects view in your database that you have handy. And you'll see that one of the columns for every single object is a thing called the object ID. It is in some respects like a primary key into the list of all objects in the database. This potentially seems like an additional overhead because now if I want to find where a single row is somewhere in my database, if I have the object number, relative file number, block number and row number, I don't know the table space. I would need to go look at the object details inside the data dictionary, find the table space for it, and then I could go and do the lookup. But that is the price you have to pay for the ability to have transportable table spaces. So when you upgraded to Oracle 8, you now had two conceptual row IDs. All the existing row IDs from Oracle 7 and before simply had the file number, block number, and row number in them. For new rows, after you've upgraded to Oracle 8, you would now have a larger row ID consisting of four attributes, the object number, the relative file number, the block number, and the row number. Given that the original row IDs were 48 bits and the object number can be a 32-bit integer, that gives you 80 bits or 10 bytes in total. We refer to these as an extended row ID because it's 10 bytes in size as opposed to 6 bytes in size. This doesn't mean, however, that every new index you create needed to also have 10-byte row IDs in all of the index entries. Most indexes are on just a normal table, and thus you only need to know once that the index points to that particular table object, you don't need to store the object number inside every single index entry. It's implicit by the fact that the index is created on that object, that table. Where you might need the larger row ID inside that index is if the index spans multiple objects. You might be thinking, how is that possible? That's when we have a global index that spans multiple table partitions. Each individual partition is an object in its own right, and therefore the index that spans multiple objects has to store the object number and hence a 10-byte row ID inside the index keys. This is why global indexes on partition tables will often be a little bit larger than their non-global equivalents. Let me keep exploring this fictional brainstorming session that's going on inside Oracle to work out how to come up with a new row ID. We originally thought about putting the table space in the row ID and abandon that because of transportable table spaces. We've now come up with a working solution which involves adding the object number to the row ID, which so far looks very promising. But consider the following scenario. I have a table. I've loaded it up with lots and lots of data which means I have lots of row IDs that identify every single row in that table. They consist of an object number, a file number, 
a block number, and a row number. I then truncate that table. Now as we know, all truncate does is alter the dictionary to say the table is now empty. It doesn't touch any of the existing data out there on the data files. Now I reload some of that data. The table might be bigger, it might be smaller, it may have overwritten some of the old data, it may not have. But what I now have floating around in my database is a whole stack of row IDs or rows that I can no longer tell the difference between the old copy of the data before I truncated and the new copy because those rows are all the same. They have the same object number, the same file number, probably some overlaps in terms of block numbers and row numbers. I'm running a risk of a data corruption by finding information out in my data files that is no longer relevant. To overcome this, we need to improve upon our concept of the object ID. And if you look at the various database dictionary views, user objects, all objects, etc., you'll notice there are two object ID columns. One is called object ID. This is the object ID that is assigned when you first create the object. And there is a second column called the data object ID. Typically, they are one and the same because you create an object and you put data in it and nothing dramatic has changed. But when you do something like truncate the table, what you are doing is retaining the original object ID, but because you have thrown away your data, you are now given a brand new data object ID. This is how we can tell that data out on the files now belongs to this new version, for lack of a better term, of your data, as opposed to the old version of the data. What does this mean when it comes to our row ID? It has to be the data object ID not the object ID that goes in our row ID, because that's how we can guarantee that we will always correctly locate a row out on the file system. So while I've been saying our row ID consists of an object number, file number, block number, and row number, to be precise, it is the data object ID that goes into our row ID. And thus finally, we have a working robust solution. And that is the row ID in all versions of Oracle from Oracle 8.0 onwards. The data object ID, the relative file number relative to the table space that can be worked out from that data object ID, the block number, and the row number inside that block. So that's the vast majority of the problems solved. However, we still have to be backward compatible with all those applications out there that may have been querying the row ID and storing it, for example, in a variable inside their application. As I mentioned before, querying the row ID would come back with three sets of hex digits separated by periods or dots, adding up to 18 bytes of display information. Now that our row ID could be up to 10 bytes instead of six bytes, how are we gonna display all that information and still keep it to 18 characters? The first and easiest way to claim back a couple of characters is to ditch the dots or the periods. The next thing, which I think is a real brainwave, is if you're considering hexadecimal output of bit information. For every 24 bits of information you want to show, you need six characters. Oracle decided we could throw away the hex. Let's display the encoding of the row ID in base64, because in base64, you only need four characters for every 24 bits of information you want to display. We all know that hexadecimal consists of 16 different characters when we display it zero through nine, and then A, B, C, D, E, F. For base 64, we need 64 different characters in terms of being able to display it on the screen. The way we've done that is you take the capitals A through Z, the lowercase A through Z, that gives you 52 characters, the digits zero through nine, that gives me 62 characters, and then the forward slash and the plus sign. 
They're the 64 characters that make up our base 64 encoding of the row ID when it comes to display it. Thus, if you've only ever used Oracle from Oracle 8.0 onwards, whenever you select the row ID from a table, you don't see three sets of hexadecimal numbers. What you see is a fairly cryptic text-based expression of letters and numbers and the occasional forward slash. That's because it is this new representation of the row ID to make sure that we can cram 10 bytes of information into this 18-byte display to map the historical display of the row ID. Because it's no longer immediately apparent which part of that display represents the file or the object, or etc., we introduced a package called DBMS Row ID in order for you to poke around inside row IDs for yourself. You can pass a row ID into the DBMS Row ID package functions and it'll let you extract things like the file number, the object number, etc. Back in the day when I was first using row IDs in Oracle 7, you would simply look at the attributes that came out from the display, convert your hex into decimal, and you would know with a file block number, etc. Nowadays, we use DBMS row ID to get that same information. But of course, the big question I'm sure you're thinking is, so we changed the row ID format. We changed what's stored in there. We changed the encoding of how we display it. What's the benefit? Where did we get to? As I mentioned in Oracle 7, the theoretical limit for an 8K block size was a 32 terabyte database. Now we have 1,024 files per table space. There's a limit of 65,000 or so table spaces per database. Each file can have 4 million blocks as before, that hasn't changed, and we have an 8K block size. If we multiple all that together, a modern Oracle database can have 2,048 petabytes total size. It would be foolish of me to say, and therefore, no database will ever get that big. We can be confident that none of that big so far, but rest assured, as time goes on, I'm sure one day we'll probably have to have another look at the row ID format and maybe make some changes to make it even larger than that. I'll finish off with one last thing which I alluded to in the previous podcast when it comes to table spaces and their relationship to row IDs. As I've mentioned all through this episode, we have 22 bits to nominate the number of blocks that can be stored inside a data file. That gives us a maximum of 4 million blocks and therefore a maximum file size of 32 gigabytes, assuming an 8K block size. This used to be totally ample because most underlying file systems couldn't go anywhere near that in terms of maximum file size allowed. But time rolls on and most modern file systems allow files larger than 32 gigabytes. And therefore the 22 bits for block number is an arbitrary limitation. To overcome this, we introduced a new kind of table space called a big file table space. In our six byte row ID, we allocated 22 bits for blocks and 10 bits for the file number. That gave us 32 bits out of our six byte row ID. We could also come up with an alternate usage for those 32 bits. What if I only allowed one file in a given table space? Then I don't need a relative file number because the file number is always one. I would then be able to repurpose those 10 bits I used to allocate for file number and make them available for the block number. So rather than 22 bits for blocks and 10 bits for files, I could have a particular kind of table space where I'm only having one file per table space, but that gives me 32 bits for the block number. These are what we call big file table spaces because as the name suggests, you can have a big file inside them, but only one. 
32 bits for the blocks means I can have 4 billion blocks as opposed to 4 million blocks, giving me a maximum file size of 32 terabytes as opposed to 32 gigabytes. In terms of completing our naming conventions, existing table spaces that can have multiple data files we now call small file table spaces and they are the default for backward compatibility reasons, but you can also create these things now called big file table spaces. Only one file is allowed, but that file can be up to 32 terabytes in size. So there you have it, a definition of what the row ID is and a nice walk down memory lane of how we've had to evolve the row ID to handle the ever increasing sizes of databases and servers throughout the past 20 or so years. Hopefully you've enjoyed this information and know a little bit more about how row IDs work inside the Oracle database. As always, catch me on Twitter if you want to ask questions or give me some feedback. But if not, I'll see you in the next podcast episode. Bye for now, everyone. Thanks for listening to this podcast. The music credit goes to Zanman from Pixabay Music.